9, verses 9 through 13. Please stand for the reading of God's word. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of the Lord. This morning, as we begin or continue our series on joining Jesus on mission, I wanted to say it's one thing to hear a scripture like this read, to consider what this encounter would have been looked like as you hear the words. But this morning, I want to help us to uncover it and experience it in a little bit deeper way. And so this morning, we're going to start by watching this scene, this interaction by Jesus with Matthew from the series The Chosen. Let's watch as they depict what happened here. The mother of a son with talent like yours should be proud. She's ashamed that I could use the talent that God gave me against God. Next. You're good at something. You found a way to make a living doing it. It's that simple. Must be nice to live in a world so simply ordered. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alphaeus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes. you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. 
shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? Grab it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Now, I could basically preach the, the film clip and, and the variety of things in there. I will touch on a number of the details there that are interwoven because uh, they, they just were uh, amazing in the way they, they captured the scene and some of the aspects of it. But what, how I want to dive into the message first this morning is to look at this foundational truth that as a result of what happened here in this encounter and the unfolding of the story that evening, every disciple of Jesus can follow Jesus' inefficiently effective model of calling followers by seeking what's already happening and joining Jesus on his mission. What we're going to look at today is this is doable for us. And in the messages over the last few weeks that either I or Pastor Greg have preached, the whole goal has been to kind of pass on models or ways that we can engage in joining Jesus on his mission that are doable for us, not unreachable for us. What we see here in this story and in this passage is that in Jesus, God's new world was being born. And from now on, everything would be different. And in the middle of that newness sits a surprised and grateful man named Matthew, telling the story of his own calling as a tax collector, who had been lumped together with sinners for being a collaborator with the occupying Roman force. When Jesus announced the presence of his kingdom and he said time, the times were changing, he really meant it and they really were. That was his answer to the questions and the criticisms that bubbled up, not surprisingly when his movement didn't look like what people expected a kingdom movement would look like. This passage is full of questions to which his answer was because everything is different now or in the language of the chosen, Get used to different. Matthew, as we know, exacted taxes for the Roman invaders. And this system of taxation lent itself to corruption. With tax collectors proverbially becoming rich and fanatically hated. Not only did they fleece you, they worked for the hated oppressive Roman government. And often took more than was needed for the taxes. That's how they made their money. But Matthew... In the midst of this background, which he himself in the encounter knew was kind of, you know, uh, something that had displeased his family, that had basically sold out his people, probably had heard Jesus' teachings. Perhaps he had even seen some of his miracles. He will have been wondering with amazement about this man everybody was talking about. But could it be for him The passage prior to this one in Matthew's gospel gives us a clue as to Jesus' movement. There we have the story of the healing of the paralytic. Four friends bringing a paralytic man, lending him down uh, through a roof, and Jesus healing the man. In that encounter, Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus there, while he was healing the man physically, was also healing him spiritually. And if he could forgive the sins of the paralytic man, the good news is forgiveness is available. 
Forgiveness of sins is available to somebody like Matthew and his tax-collecting, sinning friends who would be invited to the party that night. Greg Finke, in his book, Joining Jesus on Mission, which we've referred to in this series, says, Did you know that Jesus had a secret weapon for fulfilling his redemptive mission? And it is simple enough for you and me to imitate. Do you know what it was? He enjoyed hanging out with people. Jesus genuinely enjoyed people. He enjoyed getting to know them. He enjoyed building relationships with them. And the barriers that often separated out his society in his day did not seem to keep him from breaking those down and building new relationships. The Gospels indicate that Jesus hung out with people a lot. Consider this. In Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus said, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, how did Jesus get that reputation? I'm pretty sure it wasn't because he actually overdrank and overate. However, I do know that he often hung out with people who did. Some other examples include Matthew here in Matthew 9, 10. While having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And later in Luke 19, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Later, Jesus would say to another tax collector, Zacchaeus, Come down from that tree. I must stay at your house today. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. What we see then is this was a regular missional practice for Jesus. To get to know and to rub shoulders with irreligious people. People who had been cast out of society as evildoers or not people that would be uh, open or have the grace of God available to them. But Jesus enjoyed being with people, and he knew how to hang out with them. He watched, he listened, he shared stories, and he shared life. And he wasn't in a hurry. He seemed to practice the mantra of a friend of mine from the church I served in Santa Rosa. And that was, wherever you are, be all there. In other words, the people that Jesus was with, the people who were in front of him, seemed to captivate his attention and be the focus of his love. That's how people got to know the good news of God. That Jesus spent time with them and revealed to them who he was. And perhaps most noteworthy is that Jesus hung out with people and enjoyed them even though he had a huge mission to accomplish and a limited amount of time to accomplish it. So here's the question. Did Jesus choose to hang out with people in spite of having a huge mission with limited time? In my view, he hung out with people because of it. And as we watch Jesus in the Gospels, he seems to choose to hang out with people and enjoy them as the most effective way of accomplishing his huge mission with limited time. Because it's only as he spent time with people, built relationships, that they were able to see and hear and experience the reality that he was a friend of sinners. That he loved people enough to be able to reveal God's love to them. How did Jesus do it? He relied and and was so filled with the grace and mercy of God that he was able to extend that. 
How do we go into perhaps difficult spaces and places and build relationships with irreligious people? We rely on the grace of God too. You see, if we are so grounded in God's grace, if we remember again and again all we have been forgiven for, we are then freed to love and forgive other people and extend that forgiveness. People who have been sinners to us, perhaps they've offended us, perhaps they've you know, disappointed us, can be people that we forgive and we reveal the love of God to because God has done the same with us. Such a strategy on Jesus' part seems unlikely to those of us who are busy, goal-oriented people. We don't often feel like we have time to spare. Hanging out with people seems an inefficient strategy to reach the world for Jesus to the extreme. However, please note, Jesus chose this strategy for a reason. He could reveal himself only fully in relational ways. Yes, he taught crowds, but he also ministered to individuals. So Jesus was one who came with a specific pattern and practice of nurturing relationships with people like tax collectors and sinners. And in Matthew eleven nineteen, he goes on to say, after being categorized as somebody who hung out with those and those crowds, he said, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. In other words, see whether it works. I'm modeling this for you, a way and a means of building relationships, serving people to build relationships, to share the good news. You test it out for yourself. For busy U.S. Christians, one of the biggest challenges we have to living missionally is investing time in the process of becoming friends with people. We want quick strategies, quick fixes, simple means or models to making a difference for the kingdom of God. And it's hard for us to go the slow route of the careful cultivation of relationships for Jesus' sake. In fact, it can be, this strategy can even be counterintuitive to us. But hanging out with people and enjoying people was Jesus' secret weapon for winning the world to his Father. And even in the midst of our uh, internet age and high-speed communication, building and cultivating relationships, friendships for the sake of sharing the good news of Jesus is still the way of our Master. And he seemed to do it even in agendaless ways. And what I mean by that is Jesus went in and built relationships with people for the sake of relationships. That, those building of relationships, of course, led to opportunities to share. But he seemed willing to spend time with people without immediate results, quote unquote. Think, for instance, of the story of Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night in John 3. There Jesus spent a whole night with one individual, sharing with him what it meant to be born again and be freed and through the love of God was given through the person of Jesus and his eventual death for us. But it's only later in the Gospels that we get a sense that that conversation that night became a turning point in Nicodemus' life. There aren't always immediate results, but investing in friendships for Jesus' sake and the sake of the kingdom is how Jesus would call us to join him on his mission. So what did it look like here? Jesus' actions initiate his mission. We are told in the beginning he went on from there. In other words, Jesus was on the move. Notice that Jesus is on the move 
passing by while Matthew is sitting, stationary, stuck at the custom house, even behind bars, right, as it was depicted there. But he won't stay stuck for long. But Jesus being on the move is about gaining or connecting with people missionally, not just being stationary himself and expecting people to come to him. As we've talked about in the last few weeks, we as a church can't just stay in one place and anticipate people will come to us. We must be on the move with Jesus as well in the spaces and places he calls us to cultivate relationships. Notice, secondly, that Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. I love the way they depicted it there in The Chosen. You see Jesus' eyes, searching, looking, seeing a man, calling him out from beyond the barriers, a Roman guard, bars, things that would, would be barriers between he and Matthew. But Jesus sees him. And I always want to remind you that Jesus sees us. And Jesus sees the people he's encouraging us to reach. In Jesus' day, again, heavy taxes were laid upon the people for all sorts of things. In addition to the three main taxes of a ground tax, an income tax, and a poll tax, duty was imposed upon all imported goods. Every caravan that used the main roads that came through Capernaum, likely where Matthew was stationed, would be uh, taxed. Every time a ship came into port, it would be taxed. And it would be taxed so that the Romans would become rich off of the Jewish people. All this, again, created hatred for somebody like Matthew. But there's more. Jesus sees a man in and through or in spite of the hatred that people, his people had for him. While Matthew had essentially uh, given, gone in league with the enemies, Jesus saw him as a man who could be loved, who could be transformed, who could overcome his old life and old shame and begin again. And so when Jesus was standing before him and when Matthew heard his issue and his challenge, it caused Matthew to accept that welcome, get out of his tax collector booth, and follow. I love the way that Matthew includes his own story and calling in the midst of his gospel. You see, Matthew isn't just telling us about facts that he heard from a distance or secondhand. Right in the middle of his gospel, he shares his own gospel story, his own experience of transformation. And I love the fact, the way they captured this in The Chosen, where he, Matthew says, well, you know, oh, I don't, I've got this book, I, and I, I might as well go and put it back, and then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus essentially says, I think we're going to find use for that. In other words, Matthew was somebody who was used to writing something down, things down. He may have been a little more highly educated than the fishermen, who wouldn't be as oriented towards writing things down or perhaps as educationally trained. I love the way he takes his tablet, because Matthew was going to use it in writing down what some believe to be the first gospel, the great story of Jesus. But it wasn't just Matthew's gospel story that becomes part of the good news and the experience. It was in that moment and at present time. You see, Matthew joins Jesus on his mission. He got up and he followed Jesus. He responded immediately, which is in itself amazing. But he also had Jesus over for dinner that night. And as we are told, invited many tax collectors and sinners. We should pause and recognize the fact that when Jesus said, follow me, 
and Matthew rose and followed him, that it was amazing that Matthew should leave everything to follow his carpenter, this carpenter. Amazing that Jesus had such authority that when he said to a businessman, follow me, the man obeyed. And amazing the transformation in Matthew's life that resulted. We owe to Matthew the first written records about Jesus, contained along with other material in the Gospels. And he would have had ability to write down facts and record the events of Jesus that would follow. But we need to remember all that Matthew left behind and all that Matthew found. He lost a comfortable job, a job that would have given him a great income. But in that transition, he found a destiny, a greater purpose for his life. He lost a good income, but he found honor. He lost comfortable security, but he found an adventure the like of which he had never dreamed. It may be that if we accept the challenge of Christ, we shall find ourselves poorer in material things, perhaps, but we will also find ourselves more wealthy spiritually than we could ever imagine. Beyond a doubt, we will find a peace and a joy and a thrill in life that we never knew before. For in Jesus Christ, a man finds a wealth surpassing everything that he abandoned for the sake of Jesus. We must note what Matthew left, but what also Matthew took. He left behind his tax collector table, but he took his one thing, his pen and his paper, and he became a shining example of how we can communicate the good news of Jesus to other people. Matthew's transformation was immediate. He followed and he left, but notice that what he didn't leave behind. He didn't immediately leave behind his tax collecting and his sending friends. He actually found a way to join them with Jesus. Now whether the party, dinner party was Jesus' idea first or Matthew's idea first, we can know and trust that in God's sovereignty and plan, this dinner gathering formed in such a way that both people were engaged in its purpose. In the message translation, it says later, When Jesus is eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and lit in to Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher, acting cozy with crooks and riffraffs? Jesus overhearing shot back, Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what the scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here not to, I'm here to invite outsiders, not to coddle insiders. I love the transformation that is experienced here. Not only the part of Matthew, but also those people gathered around because they could hear Jesus' fundamental purpose. To be a doctor who heals the spiritually sick. He wasn't there to coddle insiders, those people who thought that they were healthy. And one of the greatest challenges we might have for those of us who have grown up in the church is to have this false sense that we are okay, that we are healthy, that we aren't sinners like the rest of the world. But what Jesus wants is for us to all recognize our spiritual sickness and our need for a Savior. Only in that are we then going to be open and wel- to welcoming other people and pointing them to the one who could save them. 
Matthew's conversion, we could say, was worthy of such a party. And Matthew throws one. I love in the interaction there, Matthew basically says, I don't get invited to many parties. Again, he's an outcast. The Jews didn't like somebody who was collecting taxes. Jesus says, that's not going to be a problem tonight because you're throwing the party. And the party that he has is one where everyone is invited a home, at his home. At home among a bunch of crooks, a bunch of people who collected taxes for the Romans, who sinned in various ways. Matthew was essentially at home because these were his friends. But more importantly, Jesus seemed at home. In fact, the Greek word for recline is that Jesus was in this place of rest among them. It'd be like us walking into a downtown bar but feeling comfortable in that space. Or being in whatever space or place might feel sort of alien to us. In that space, Jesus was comfortable as a doctor among sick people willing to point them to the hope that they now had because he was there. Jesus didn't come to call the self-righteous. He came to call sinners back into the arms of a loving Savior. Matthew knew his need, and that's part of what began his journey of following Jesus. And I believe that that night it is likely that more and more people saw their need for a Savior, somebody who was willing to spend time with them. But sadly, the Pharisees chose to exclude themselves from the party. Reminding ourselves of the fact that the parable of the prodigal son was written in this context, we can realize that the older son in that parable was much like the Pharisees in this story here. One who was sort of standing outside the party. One who thought that the younger son wasn't worthy of celebration. What Jesus is trying to say is any sinner who comes back to the loving Savior and is, comes home to God is worthy of celebration is worthy of a party. On that night of the event, only heaven knows what strategic conversations took place. Uh, We don't have the details of other conversations other than the fact that when the Pharisees caught wind of the party, like the older son in the parable of the prodigal, they didn't like it. Apparently they thought Jesus and his disciples were doing evangelism the wrong way. But Jesus is showing that his kingdom is a party a party that is advancing in this world, and all who accept his party invitation are welcome to come. When the Pharisees questioned Matthew's party and Jesus's, the appropriateness of Jesus' supreme present there, note how Jesus defends Matthew and defends his calling of this party and points again to his purpose, his purpose to reach lost people, to draw people home to God. And perhaps we could say, as Bill Hybels does in his book, Becoming a Contagious Christian, the situation there perhaps isn't all that different from our own. We separate ourselves out in our society, pushing various social groups out, not thinking that other people are worthy of Jesus' attention. When Jesus is saying, they are worthy in me, I love them and I care about them, and remember the fact that we weren't worthy outside of Jesus' calling and enabling. His grace is all the only thing that makes us worthy of being in a relationship with God. So note who Jesus invites together 
and Matthew partners with him on, it becomes an intentionally mixed crowd, a party we could say with a purpose. Matthew, instead of leaving his tax collecting and sinning friends behind, invites them to come to a party with Jesus. Now think about this. We tend to separate out the different people in our lives, right? We've got our church friends, our growth group that we go to on a Tuesday night, but then we've got our other friends in our community that we relate to in different ways. Never the twain shall meet. But Jesus and Matthew show us something different, an opportunity to connect irreligious people with a loving Savior and other people who are following him. Note how simple this is. Matthew hadn't been through one of our evangelism seminars. He hadn't graduated from seminary like Greg or I. He lacked printed materials like Dave Anderson. All he had was a grace-filled heart and a determined spirit, and he'd figure it out. You know, there are a lot of Christians who wring their hands and insulate their hearts from the plight of their lost friends and family members, thinking there's nothing they could do to reach them. But Matthew wasn't willing to do that. Instead, he persisted. I'm sure he must have thought hard about it, prayed for wisdom and direction, and perhaps asked his believing friends for advice, or at least talked to Jesus about it, as the chosen video depicted. But whatever the cause and however the idea developed, Matthew took a huge risk. He'd throw a party. His buddies loved parties, big parties, and the more the merrier. Tax collectors and sinners, they loved parties. But guess what? So does Jesus. And Jesus became sort of the master of ceremonies at that party. A party that now had a purpose of putting Matthew's irreligious friends together with Jesus the Savior. And giving them an opportunity to learn about the love of God. In fact, I can picture Jesus after responding to the Pharisees and saying, hey, the sick, the, the well, healthy don't need a doctor. I've come to, to, to support the sick. Turning to Matthew and saying, Matthew, this is a great idea. I love your heart for lost people. Don't be discouraged by what those Pharisees have to say. Just go on loving and go on living and go on reaching out to people who need to know me. And friends... That's what we must do as well, to continue to love God, but to continue to love people as well, to think about ways that we could connect people through these types of Matthew parties, giving people an opportunity to see that believing Christians are loving people, that we have hope that other people don't have, that we have a peace, as one of our songs says, that doesn't make sense, and other people need to know that peace. What would this look like for you in application? The simple truth is that we can follow Matthew's example and join Jesus on his mission. And we can do it through a couple different ways. We can eat with others outside of God's family and perhaps join them with people who are inside God's family. A few years back, Beth and I threw what we called a friends giving. We invited our small group over, but we also invited a bunch of our friends in the community who didn't yet know Jesus. And we had about 30 or 40 people in our home. And it was amazing to watch the conversations that took place that night where people were building trust with Christian people, where people were experiencing love as they were listened to and as they were welcomed in that space. Our church continues to host a weekly Matthew party on the Nevada Union High School campus. 
They were nearly 50 students at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes this last week. We bring pizza and we ask those Christian students to invite their friends. And they're courageous and they do. And the group is growing. We can also acknowledge our own spiritual sickness and need for a savior. And that's critical. If we act again like we are healthy and we don't need help, that is a turnoff and a put off to other people. People smell that religiosity a mile away. But if we acknowledge ourselves as spiritually sick and in need of a savior, if we have that kind of authenticity, it draws people to Jesus. And lastly, we can continue to call spiritually sick people to Jesus for healing. It involves simple invitations, simple acts of grace and mercy. It involves recognizing that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, and he's inviting us to do the same. Greg Finke would say, in summary, if we want to join Jesus on his mission, all we have to do is look. If we don't look, of course, we won't find the ways he's calling people to join us on his mission. But the point is that we can seek, recognize, and respond to what Jesus is already doing in the lives of the people we are enjoying. And we can start paying attention to what he is already doing, and we can join him in those places. One invitation coming up is to our Harvest Festival. You'll notice that in the bulletin today, uh, there's uh, a simple invitation to come. Uh, later this month, uh, Saturday, October 28th, in the evening, we'll have live music and bounce houses and, and a chili cook-off, as Greg mentioned in uh, the introduction this morning. But those invitations are in your bulletin for a reason, not just as a reminder to you, but an invitation for you to turn that evening into a Matthew party, to invite your religious friends, people who don't yet know Jesus, to a safe space and place to have fun but also for them to get to know about Jesus. My encouragement to you is to take that invitation, to pray over that invitation, and to consider who you're being called to invite. And next Sunday, right after church, those who feel called are going to gather together, and we're going to walk over to the apartment complex across the street and go door to door and extend those invitations. Friends, when we gather at the communion table, it's our way of being filled with the grace of God so that we can go out and minister to others in that same grace and mercy. We don't take communion just for ourselves. Yes, we long to be fed. We long to have our spiritual thirst quenched. But it's being filled by God and having our thirst quenched by God and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross so that we are filled up spiritually and able to go out and minister spiritually and join Jesus on his mission. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness to us today. We thank you for your grace and mercy reflected in the giving of your body and the shedding of your blood. As we gather at the table today, may we do so with joy and thanksgiving for all that you have done for us and all that you have done that you want to reveal through us and in the lives of others. Lord God, we thank you that the kingdom of God is a party, that one day we will see you face to face and experience the great banquet of the kingdom of God. And today we pray that you would touch us with a knowledge of what, of what awaits us and strength for the journey to continue on until that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And all the earth 
will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Come on, as a church, let's sing that out. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great in all you, Lord. Let's sing it one more time. And all the earth will shout your praise.